All right, welcome everyone. Glad you are here. Um, we're super excited for tonight. Um, my name's Austin. This is my wife, Jill. Um, tomorrow is our 13th wedding anniversary. We're excited about that. Um, it doesn't mean we know everything. We still uh, have lots of snafus and lots of miscommunication, as I'm sure we all do. Um, we're super excited about tonight, um, and Jill's going to share give me the microphone, um, just a little bit about um, our goals for the marriage, um, this marriage group, and um, we'll go from there. There are seats up front in the corner right here. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> She's my sister-in-law, so I can call her out. Um, nobody else will be called out, I promise. Um, by us, anyway. Um, yeah, so like Austin said, um, we are celebrating 13 years tomorrow, um, and we have had some ups and downs and a lot of um, life experience. Um, we lived overseas for seven years. Um, we worked in full-time ministry. We now have children and are doing parenthood and careers. Um, I'm a counselor by training, and Austin is a financial advisor, which many of you may not know that financial advisors actually do a lot of counseling, if you have a good one. So... Um, he does a lot of counseling as well, and we just feel really passionate about marriages. Um, Austin has shared very, um, very vulnerably with our church um, that there has been broken trust in our marriage, and we have rebuilt from that. Um, and so all of those things, um, all the experiences that we've walked through with the Lord are things that make us passionate about strengthening marriages. So we are super excited about tonight and the following sessions. Yeah, so on, um, well, there's three different clipboards. Um, if you guys would sign your name and email address, um, we'll be using that throughout the next couple of months. Um, that would help us, so please just sign up on one of those. Um, we um, wanna start tonight with a real quick icebreaker, okay? Um, if you've been in our life group before, you know we love an icebreaker. We love icebreakers. So Can I tell you why? Because once you talk once, you are more willing to participate in the future. So there's purpose to it. Um, and it connects us. So in your tables, um, share briefly what is the coolest place you have been with your spouse? Go. Okay. So, um, thank you guys for sharing. Um, we want to share just a little bit about what this group is going to be and what it won't be, okay? Um, we want to call this a workshop because you guys are actually going to be doing a lot of work. Um, this is not a monologue. We are not up here to preach at you or tell you what to do or what, what not to do. We might do that a little bit, but... Um, there's a lot of wisdom in this room. Um, there's a lot of years of marriage in this room. Um, and we're going to learn better by the participation of you guys. Okay, so we want interaction. Um, like Jill mentioned, we are not going to put you on the spot. Okay, um, I'm not going to say, hey, Ben, what, what was your answer here? We're not going to go there. Okay, we want you guys to feel safe in this room. Um, 
whatever you want to share, you are will you're you're welcome to share. Okay. Um, obviously, let's keep on task, right? Um, this is not um, marriage counseling. This is not going to be comprehensive in every single way. But think of this as we're going to be hopefully adding some tools to your tool belt. Okay. Um, this is not a space to air your dirty laundry. Okay. If, if you haven't talked to your spouse about what you want to share, probably not the place to, to share it. Okay. So we want this to be a safe place and we're not jabbing at each other. Okay. So we just want to be clear about that. Um, was there anything else I missed on there? Okay, um, so on your tables, okay, there are post-it notes, okay? If everyone would grab a marker, one or two colors of markers maybe, and what I want you guys to do on, on separate post-it notes, I would like you to write your expectations for this group. So one expectation per post-it note, okay? You can, you can use as many post-it notes as you want. One expectation per post-it note for this group. Go. Okay, so if you have your expectations down, if you're still writing, that's fine. When you're done, take your sticky notes and let's put them up here on the board, okay? And then you can return to your seat. I see a lot of communication, try to heal, laughter, grow in intimacy, maturity, strengthen my marriage, become an encourager, discover something new about my spouse. Vulnerability, maturing as a husband, communication, tools, a springboard to deeper conversations, godly wisdom, ways to connect after having children. That's good. Ways to build unity, to laugh and have fun. Yeah, feel free to go down there. To be more empowered as a wife. I like that. How to invite the Holy Spirit into our marriage. That's good. Better conflict resolution. Even if you want to cover some of these. So we all come into tonight with our own expectations. Our goal is that a lot of these expectations would be met. Okay, so what Jill's going to do is she's going to take this sheet and she's actually going to move it over here on the wall. And we're going to use this sheet every time we meet. And what I want you to do when we're leaving today is to go through and check mark, did it happen? Okay. Um, what I put up there is I want to see some laughter. We've already had that. Okay. I want to see growing in intimacy and growing in wisdom in marriage. Um, and so... I think it's good to have good expectations, and thank you guys for doing that. So um, we want to set some ground 
kind of some some foundation for this time. And there's not a better place to go than the scriptures. Okay. And so um, what we want to talk about a lot tonight is the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Um, Culture might tell you that the purpose of marriage is to fulfill my needs. Okay. Um, I would argue that that is not the purpose of marriage. Um, But some of us might have grown up that way. Some of us might have gotten married with that in mind. Okay. Um, We want to look at what scripture says the, the purpose of marriage is. Okay. So, what I would love to hear from you guys, and Jill is going to scribe up here. Um, when you look at Scripture, what does Scripture say the purpose of marriage is? That two shall become one. What else? To multiply. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And wives, respect your husbands. It's good. What else? Revealing Jesus' relationship with his bride. Yeah. Yeah, to have accountability, someone pick you up when you fall down. Helpmate, right? To be self-sacrificing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God said loneliness is not good with Adam, right? What else? It's very refining to be married. Yeah. There's unity, holiness, a picture of the church, to be godly examples to our children. Yeah. I would say enjoyment. It is for happiness. It is for happiness, but that's not the point of it, right? That's not the only point. Um, One thing that we see in Scripture as well is that marriage is for sexual satisfaction. Can I get an amen? Okay, all right. Um, I would say it's it, protection as well, right? And that kind of goes with, with when one falls, lifting the other one up. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was single, nobody asked me about my finances. Nobody asked me about my time, right? Um, am I growing closer to the Lord? My wife knows everything about me. And she's constantly, hey, was that worth it? What are we doing here? Right? Not in a nagging way, in a way of accountability and building me up. Okay? Um, I want to read a paragraph from um, this book uh, called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Um, and it says, what then is marriage for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves the new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon husband and wife look toward is the throne and the holy, spotless, and blameless nature we will have. I can think of no more powerful common horizon than that. And that is why putting a Christian friendship at the heart of marriage, of a marriage relationship, can lift it to a level that no other vision for marriage approaches, okay? Um, I love this because this is what 
we're going towards. It's, it's marriage is refining. It refines us to be more holy and more spotless, right? Can I add a couple of things? Um, if you are looking for some of those scripture references that people um, mentioned, um, I'll just start going down a list of several that talk about the things that are up here. Um, so Ephesians 5, Genesis 2 speaks of unity and oneness, as does Mark 19. Um, Nathan's point of helpfulness comes from Ecclesiastes 4.9. We also see a reference in Genesis 2 that it's not good for man to be alone. Companionship, Malachi 2.14 and 15. Protection, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Enjoyment and sexual satisfaction, Proverbs 5, the book of Song of Solomon. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 16. So those are all passages that speak to the points that people were putting up here on the board. So when we look at marriage as well, there are different roles that we each play. Okay, um, Husbands play sp specific roles and wives play specific roles. Now, in the, in the exact... In the way that you guys are married, okay, I'm sure there are differences than what Jill and I are, right? And there are some differences that are fine, and that's, that's, there's no issue with that. But Scripture does talk about roles of spouses, okay? And so Jill's going to scribe up here, um, and what I'm looking for, what we're looking for is what is the role of each spouse, according to scripture. The husband is the head. Both are required to submit. What do you mean by that, Mark? So husbands submit to wives and wives submit to husbands. Okay. I would say wives are, husbands are to serve their wives, right? And I would say husbands are to submit to the Lord. So husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And, and Jeff, you're saying that's a deep that's deep. It's not as just a saying. Can you explain a little bit more? Can you speak up a little bit? In, in my life, it was just more of um, the way the Lord worked with me was like really understanding what that scripture meant was um, Christ loved the church even though, and we've never had this happen, but even if the church cheated on him, spit in his face, beat him, took him to the cross, whatever, but he loved so the way I want to love my wife is no matter how she, we, anything that she does, I'm still going to love her beyond that. And if I do that well, she can, can, can submit to me well because we've got some of those things already in place. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. What else? Helper? The wife is to be a helpmate. Yeah? Good. <coughs> Husband's called to provide, okay? She is to respect her husband. How many husbands like to be respected? Every, every husband can raise their hand there, right? Yeah, what else? Husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. Husbands are to wash her with the word. 
Husbands are to protect their wives. Yeah. Hmm. So both are responsible for their, for the family, but only one is accountable to the Lord, and that's the husband. Okay. Yeah, so we um, we want to park a little bit. We can add to this if we want. Um, but let's go ahead and open to Ephesians 5. We are going to start reading in verse 21. It kind of catches a middle of a sentence. So um, just to briefly catch you up to speed, Paul is writing about how to walk in love. And he's talking about making the best use of time, to understand the Lord's will, to not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, how to address one another, give thanks to God. And then this last verse, starting in verse 21, these are instructions about how to walk in love. And then I will continue reading um, through the end of the chapter. So Ephesians 5:21, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So a lot of what came on the screen, on the, it's not a screen, of the paper. Um, we see it echoed here in Ephesians 5. And um, submission and respect are like hot topics, right? Like some people cringe at the thought of submission or my man needs to deserve respect before I'm going to give it. And I don't really think that that's what we see here in Scripture. Um, so honoring and respecting our husbands is actually required of us. And the reason that I started in verse 21 is because our submission is out of reverence to who? Christ. Our submission is not out of reverence to our husbands. It's out of a reverence to Christ. Um, it is not dependent, really, on his actions. Um, so ask your husband. This can be homework. Um, we do have homework assignments. Um, but ask your husband, what makes you feel honored? What makes you feel respected? What are things that I am already doing that, like, build you up and make you feel respected? What are things that I could do more of? 
And husbands, use that as an opportunity to speak life into her, not to criticize her. Um, so also with respect, um, I think that all of us women in here could agree that it would be pretty cruel for our husbands to have a conditional love for us, right? Like we want unconditional love. Like I'm going to make mistakes, but I know at the end of the day that like your love for me is not dependent on my performance, right? Like it would be cruel for, for someone in a marriage to like not have that unconditional love. And yet we don't see respect in the same way. We think a man needs to deserve my respect. But again, what we see in scripture is that the wife needs to see that she respects her husband. And so it is on us to offer that unconditional respect. Now, does that mean that we are doormats? No, because part of our role as wives is to be a helpmate. Is it helpful to just be walked all over? Not typically. There is a time and a place for a turning the other cheek, but if we are going to be wives that are really, really honoring, sometimes, like Austin referred to, that does mean speaking up. That does mean coming in gentleness and in humility and talking about something, talking about a topic, um, but doing so with respect. So at some point along the way, um, I heard it taught that submission um, is like comes from the same etymology as submarine or submerge. And that submit is really like being in or being covered. Like a submarine isn't actually under the water. It's in the water, right? Like it's not like, you know, you get in a submarine, you're, you're submerged. Um, and so that, I think, is a beautiful picture of what submission looks like. You're a choosing to go into the water, getting into the covering of your husband. Like I think it was Ben Schultes that said that there is a responsibility for the family. Was that Ben or was that someone else? Jeff, I'm sorry, Jeff. Um, but that there is this protection that the husband can offer that we get as wives, we get to be under his headship. We get to be under his covering in a way that he's the one that's going to be accountable. He's the head of us. And, and that can be a really safe place to be that we are submitted. Um, yes. Yeah. So a couple other things. Can I? Yeah. Were you moving on? I was. I'm sorry. Um, I just want to give like two more caveats to submission. Um, one of them being, you know, some wives might say, but what if my husband isn't even a believer? Um, well, there's actually extra instruction in 1 Peter 3. If that is your story, if your husband, you're wondering, how do I submit when, like, my husband isn't even really following the Lord? Um, there is extra instruction for you in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. It does include submission. And it says that we can win our husbands by our purity and our submission. And so there, while I... I empathize with the pain of if your husband isn't walking with the Lord, that that would be really difficult. You do have an opportunity to win him into the kingdom in a way that nobody else does. Um, and the last thing on submission, just really quick, um, when I'm talking about submission, I am not saying that you follow your husband to sin. Um, I think this is an important distinction. Um, we revere the Lord. It's out of reverence to Christ that we submit. And so if your husband is asking you to do something that is sinful, that is not what God has for you. Yeah. And so as men, um, we are to be the head of the house. 
right? Um, and we are to, like, like Jeff was saying, we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. The Bible says that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't say, okay, when you're ready to come to me, then I'll die for you. He served us, he served me, he served you before you were even born. And so men, we are to serve our wives, not because they deserve it, not because they respected us, we are to serve them. When we are disrespected, we are to serve them, right? Christ came in and he served the world. He gave up his life for his bride which is us. We men are to give up our lives for our wives. What does that mean practically? I might get up a little bit earlier to clean out the dishwasher because I know in our house we have three little children. If I don't do it, it's going to be the afternoon before it happens and there's going to be a pile of dishes there. But if I can get to that, Jill can throw everything in the dishwasher and the house looks so much cleaner, and she is loving it. So much more peaceful. Okay, so I'm going to get up a little extra early and do that. Um, in the middle of the night, when our youngest is crying, I'm going to get up and go comfort her and put her pacifier in her mouth, even though I've got to get up early and go to work and provide, because I want to serve her. I help too, just so you know. She does, but when I hear it, I'm, I'm up right? It's not, well, the kids are your job. I'll go to work. I've heard it said that um, with little kids, um, oftentimes men, if you go to work, um, you get to feel competent for eight, nine, ten hours of the day, and your wives are at home with the kids probably not feeling competent at Ever. All. Okay. So we are to serve them, okay? Um, anything else on there? Just a couple of things that are um, mentioned in Scripture for wives that we didn't get up there are we are not supposed to nag, and we are not supposed to quarrel. We are to be prudent, and we are to show thought and care for the future. All of those are found in Proverbs. And then I would just add, there are a lot of verses that talk about do this to one another in the New Testament. Well, that certainly applies to marriage. So showing devotion, honor, encouragement, laying down our preferences to serve. Yeah. Um, back to the book, um, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Um, says, if you don't see your spouse's deep flaws and weaknesses and dependencies, you're not even in the game. But if you don't get excited about the person your spouse has already grown into, praise the Lord, and will become, you aren't tapping into the power of marriage as spiritual friendship. The goal is to see something absolutely ravishing that God is making of the beloved. You see, even now, flashes of glory. You want to help your spouse become the person God wants him or her to be. I can't tell you how many times early on in, in our relationship, Jill said would say something, and I said, no, that's not who you are. That's who you were. I see who you are, and I see the potential in you. 
You've got to see the potential in your spouse. You've got to call that out, and you've got to push them forward into that. Okay? When we are for each other in marriage, that is way better than when we're in conflict. Would you guys agree? Okay. Um, Values. Okay, how are you guys doing? Good? Great. Um, we are going to switch gears quite a bit, okay? Um, we are going to talk about values. Um, so if you have ever asked us our opinion on something, we've probably said something like, it depends on what you value. Because values determine your decisions. So if you value cost, you're going to choose the cheapest thing. If you value quality, you're going to choose the one that will last you the longest. Um, and so we are going to take some time to evaluate what we value in our marriage, okay? Um, this might feel a little bit abstract and like a hard shift, um, but I promise it all makes sense, at least in my mind. Um, so God has given us in the body unique personalities, unique gifts, unique um, unique emphasis. Um, and that's a beautiful thing in the body because every joint supplies, right? We can't all be eyes. We can't all be arms. We can't all be noses. That's good. I was going to say brains, and that just didn't seem like it was going to go off right. Um, but we want to consider, so, okay, if one of our goals of marriage is to be a picture of the church or to glorify God would be like a broader term, um, what is the aspect of Christ that we carry in our union that brings something to the kingdom that no other couple can, right? Um, so maybe you guys value creativity, and that paints a picture of how God is a creative God. Um, I think about Kim Dugan. She's creative. And when I, when I think about her, I think about the majesty of God and the way that he, he cares about the details and he cares about beauty. Um, maybe you guys value generosity. I can think of a lot of people in this room that are generous givers. Maybe you value quality time. Um, maybe part of the conflict in your marriage is that you value different things. And how do we get on the same page about that? Um, so in Acts 2, oh, yeah, so just as an example, something that we value highly is quality time as a couple. We also love tears. Um, we're very comfortable with tears. We're very, we don't move on quickly from tears because we believe that there can be healing in tears. Um, and so lots of our decisions are made around that. How do we have quality time with someone? How do we help the hurting? Those are things that are important to us. Um, so when we lived in Guatemala, we chose expensive, comfortable chairs at our dining room table because that is where fellowship happened. We felt weird about it at the time. They were expensive. <laughs> but we knew because of where we lived previous to that, which was Nicaragua, we lived in, we had these like chairs made. They were terrible. They were so terrible. They were so hard and they were flat. And anyway, um, but what happened is that that conversation around the dinner table did not linger. And so quality time was hindered. And so that was really important to us. In our next house, we're going to choose dining room chairs that facilitate conversation and fellowship in a meaningful way. That might be a silly example to you. Maybe you guys don't deal with that kind of thing. But that's a real-life example for us. Um, we see in Acts 2 that the early church had a pretty good idea of what they valued. They kind of have a mission statement in Acts 2. Um, they break bread together. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And 
giving to the poor is in there, but they're like, help me out, scholars. What's the fourth one? Prayer. I need to pray more. Um, there are four that are listed together, but then we also see in the in the second chapter chapter of Acts that they give to the poor. And so as a church, these are the things that they value. They value caring for the poor. They value connecting with God. They value hearing the word and sharing in communion. Um, and so this is the direction we're moving toward. We're going to evaluate our values, what do, what's most important to us, and then we're going to shift towards um, making a mission statement for our marriage, okay? So to get you guys started, you're going to have some conversation time with your spouse, just you and your spouse. Um, sometimes it can be hard to identify what we value when it's just this like large umbrella thing. So we put some categories up here um, to help you start the brainstorm. So with your spouse, take the next few minutes and start writing some things down. There are blank pages of paper under the Kleenex boxes. Um, back table, we'll get you some. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, we'll get you some blank pages um, if you didn't bring anything to write with. But go ahead and start making a list of what are the things that are important to us? What matters to us? What, how has God uniquely gifted us and created us that we find importance in this? Okay, thank you guys for working on that. Um, I would love to have a little bit of large group discussion and just hear from you guys. What are things that you as a couple value? Just fire them off, yeah. Fellowship. Hospitality. Humor. Spending time. Quality time, yeah. What else? Peace. Generosity, safety, coffee, food. We love good food. We put our money there. We put our time there. It's a real value. What else? Purpose. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah, so val you value being on mission and having purpose in your life. Yeah, good. What else? Going the extra mile. It's good. You value humility. Yeah. Anybody put sports or hiking? Anything recreational? Exercising. Spontaneity. I can't spell that word and I don't understand what it means personally, but <laughs> I need more spontaneity in my life. What was that? Creating memories. Yeah. Someone said traveling on that side. Traveling. Of helping others. Time away from children. Quality time. Yeah. Time with children. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they did put family as well. So, yeah. It's a good it's a good date night. They're on a date. Good date night. <laughs> Intentionality, yeah, with each other, with others, with mm. yeah, with kids and homeschooling, yeah, with each other, all relationships, good. Yeah, you value having a close in-home family, yeah, it's good. Loving, what was that? Yeah, loving and blessing your kingdom family. 
supporting gifts and talents. How do you walk that out? What does that mean? And we are so glad you do, Kristen. Yeah. Giving, so giving and your time to practice worship. and that, Okay, that makes sense. He gives you time to do crafts. Good. Yeah. Split off child care. Great. Sharpening one another. It's good. It hurts, but it's good. Great. Um, we gonna say anything else? Okay. Bring it back. Find your seats if you would. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, this concept of core beliefs. Okay, and I'm not gonna really get too much into that, but basically. We want to talk about our life lived out versus what we said and we wrote down our values are, okay? So I'll be transparent here, okay? A value that Jill and I put at the start of this year was that we would go on 20 dates. That was a value. We said we value this. We value what? We value dates. We value quality time. Away from our kids, like Brian said. Yes. And we love our kids, but we wanted time to invest the two of us. We've done eight dates so far this year. Yeah, eight. And we do have twelve weeks. And several of them were like, um, "I can meet you for lunch for like forty-five minutes if that works for you." So we haven't. We don't actually value dates. That our life lived out says we don't value quality time, the two of us. Would you agree with that? Okay. So what I want you guys to do is take a look at what you wrote down that you value and basically with your spouse, if there's a mismatch somewhere in your life lived out, talk about one thing that you can do to bring that into, no, we actually value this, we will walk it out. Does that make sense? Identify the mismatch and make one practical step. Go for it. Okay. So hopefully you guys have uh, an action step, a couple of them maybe, that you guys can work on um, in the next month. in full transparency, um, we have gone on eight dates. We also took a week away from our kids on, on vacation. Okay, that so we did not that did not count as any dates. That didn't go in the date. Tally. But there were a lot of dates on that. So, <laughs> anyways, just want to full transparency there. Clear the yeah. air. <laughs> All right. So from here, with our values, we want to develop a mission statement. Um, so this just helps to like solidify, like, this is our vision. This is where we're going. This is what we want to be about as a couple. It creates unity. It creates buy-in. It it helps to set a foundation. So the whole like theme of tonight has been foundations. Like what does scripture say? What are the roles? What do we value? This is all foundation building right now. Um, I did take a minute to look at the expectations, um, on one of our breaks and, um, just to encourage you all, we are going to get to conflict and we are going to get to communication. We'll hopefully get to some of that even tonight night. Um, we are going to get to sex. We are going to get to family dynamics. So, um, I was excited to see some of the things that people are expecting. Um, 
and we just trust that God's going to meet us in our needs. Um, okay, so I just kind of rabbit trailed a little bit. Um, let's come back to mission statements. Um, so knowing our top values and creating a mission statement helps us to determine where to allocate time, effort, resources, emotional energy, etc. And Proverbs says that where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, we do not want your marriages to perish. So we want to bring vision to them. So our mission statement would go something like this. It is unedited, but we've obviously had a head start on you. Um, it would go something like, we aim to glorify God by prioritizing him in all areas of life, keeping each other second and our kids third, loving others with time, resources, emotional sensitivity, and carrying hope and healing offered through Christ. So you're going to take what you value and you're going to cram it into, like, what are we chasing after? What's the goal? What are we going for? Um, making a mission statement. So considering everything we've talked about tonight, we've covered the purpose of marriage, the roles of husband and wife, what you value. Take the next little bit and start writing a mission statement as a couple, you and your spouse. All right, we're going to bring it back. It's what? What's that? Oh. That's hilarious. Jeff said AI did it for him. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. Never mind. I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm getting targeted ads on Instagram, and they've been quite comical, and they have to do with AI. It's like what you should say in front of your church if you want people to volunteer. These are better, like AI, whatever. Yeah, if you're interested, I'll send you some, I guess. I don't even know who it is. It's just like been targeted at me. Okay, that was way off topic. Um, okay, so at your tables, we want you to discuss what you came up with. So take a few minutes and share your mission statement with your friends at your table. We all know it's still in process. That's okay. Okay. I love all the discussion. Would anyone be brave enough to share what they have so far with the group loudly so we can all hear it? Gia. Oh, can you take her the mic? Yeah, hold on, hold on. Let's Just do this. a second. He's going to bring the mic to you. To honor, respect, love, and be a good steward of that which God blessed us with in the union of marriage. So good, Gia. Who else? We, the Wilson family, value supporting and encouraging each other through uh, encouraging each other emotionally, spiritually, and physically, supporting others through hosting, fellowship, intentionality, and serving, good food, and good coffee creativity with identifying and spurring each other to greater growth, quality time, and financially with delayed gratification. That's good. That's good. Jackson gave you a round of applause, Grace. Uh, we, the Gilpins, will support and encourage the fullness of Christ being birthed in each of us. We will exemplify sacrificial love and always say, think, and do with one another and with others. And we will honor one another and guard fiercely where the Lord is calling us as a couple and as individuals. Oh, and keep the joy in all that comes. We value teaching, trusting, walking out the word of God, 
We value cultivating an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can dwell through worship, hospitality, serving, and generosity. That's good. I think um, having a mission statement, and I would encourage you guys to continue to edit this if you need to edit it. If not, if it's ready, get it printed and put it up somewhere in your house. Put it somewhere that you're going to see it. Having a mission statement has helped Jill and I through difficult decisions. Right? Does this fit our mission? Does this fit what God is calling us to do? Um, and so, in a lot of ways, it's helped us um, in the day-to-day life. Yeah. So why do we start here? I've also, I've obviously like alluded to it several times, but we want to set a solid foundation. Um, obviously, we are coming from the premise that Christ is the foundation of our marriage. First and foremost, there is no other foundation but him. Um, With him at the center of our marriage, that is what we're building upon. Um, So we actually, in March, we hosted Barry and Diane Nichols. So if any of you missed that, um, they did a great teaching. Um, You can find it on the podcast things. It's in two parts. But but they really emphasized um, the presence of Christ and that everything comes back to um, loving Jesus. Does does what I'm doing, what I'm saying, love Jesus well? and then we just want to be building on that foundation. So tonight was like foundation building, um, but we do want to get into some practical things before we send you home. Um, Brian had a good question for me earlier. Um, we are planning every time we do this to, to go from six to eight. Um, so for those of you that like had childcare and stuff, um, we plan to end by eight. So um, why did we start here? Foundation laying, but we do want to shift to some practical communication things um, with our last half hour together tonight, if you guys are still in for the ride. You guys good to go? All right. So, um, like I said, my back, my training is in counseling, um, and so there are some big names in marriage and family therapy, and two of them are Gottman and Gottman. Um, they are a couple, um, and they did something called the Love Lab, and, oh, you don't have to take a picture of that yet. They're just working on, I mean, you can. I'm sorry. They're just working on video for me. Um, we will come back to the homework. Don't let it distract you. Um, so Gottman and Gottman do the Love Lab, which basically they invite tons of couples to their, like, makeshift apartment and put cameras up and put sensors on their bodies, and they... Tell them, hey, live here for 24 hours and bring your pets and bring your food and bring anything that will make it feel as homey as possible because we want it to be as real life as possible and we're going to assess your marriage. And what they found from that marriage research has been groundbreaking in the marriage and family therapy world um, because they have identified what he calls four horsemen, which is actually alluding to, in Revelation, there are four horsemen that are a sign of the end times. So they recognize there are four features that strongly predict the demise of a relationship. So we're going to get into that tonight. You're so selfish. What an idiot. It's not my fault we're always late. Forget it. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Dr. John Gottman calls these negative communication patterns the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they'll lead to the end of your relationship. In fact, he can predict this relationship failure with over 90% accuracy if the behavior isn't changed. So what can you do? Well, 
at the Gottman Institute. We understand you might not even know you're communicating this way, or you might not know how to control it. But if you practice the following four research-based antidotes, there is hope for your future. Criticism attacks the character of the recipient instead of focusing on a specific behavior. The antidote to criticism is to talk about your feelings using I statements, then express a positive need. Contempt is an expression of superiority that comes out as sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, and hostile humor. Contempt is the greatest predictor of relationship failure and must be eliminated. The antidote to contempt is to treat one another with respect and build a culture of appreciation within the relationship. Defensiveness is self-protection through righteous indignation or playing the victim. Defensiveness never solves the problem and is really just an underhanded way of blaming your partner. The antidote to defensiveness is to accept responsibility, even if only for part of the conflict. Stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the conversation without resolving anything. It takes time for the negativity created by the first three horsemen to result in stonewalling. But when it does, it can become a habit. The antidote to stonewalling is to break for at least 20 minutes, calm down, then return to the conversation. Spare your relationship from certain destruction. Learn more about eliminating the four horsemen by visiting our site. So this is a graphic of what you just listened to. The four horsemen are on the left side and the antidotes on the right side. I probably should have kept one. Is there one extra one somewhere? Great. So top left, criticism. So criticizing character. The example that they use is it's your fault I'm always late. You're the problem. You're the issue. That criticizing, negative, attacking personality. Now, that is not to say that you cannot address issues in your marriage. The difference is attacking character or presenting a behavior. So what does this look like? Um, so the right side is the antidote, a gentle startup. Talk about your feelings using I. Maybe some people in here feel cringy about that, talking about your feelings, but it is good for your unity and it is good for your intimacy to talk about your feelings. Um, so let's say for an example, um, criticism might be something like, Austin, you are always on your phone. You don't even care about us. Criticism. If I want to address the behavior, I could say something like, so the gentle startup is like, hey, babe, I wanted to talk to you about something. I feel really overlooked, and I just wondered if you could put your phone away. See how that feels different, where you're addressing an issue, a behavior, rather than criticizing character, okay? We will dig deeper into nuances of conflict resolution um, in some of the months to come. Um, but I felt like this was an important place to start, that if there is criticism in your marriage, um, you are tearing down the walls. You are not building the wall of unity, but you are tearing it down. Um, so using I statements in the example that I gave, I said, I feel overlooked. Like, that's my feeling, and that's an I statement. I feel like you is not an I statement anymore. When you get the you in there, it's not an I statement anymore. 
So I feel is followed by an emotion word. I feel sad, mad, glad, happy, scared, overwhelmed, overlooked, whatever it might be. Um, so the gentle startup and expressing the need, there is an appropriate place for that in marriage, but there is not an ap- appropriate place for criticism. The next one down is contempt. So contempt takes criticism a little bit further. So beyond attacking character, you are like condescending and you are shaming and you have this air of I am better than you. You are so small. And contempt is actually the single most predictor of divorce. If there is contempt in your marriage, it is a scary thing. Now, there is hope because there are things that can fix it, right? So the antidote is a culture of appreciation. So this is actually biblical because in Philippians 4, it says to think about whatever is pure, honorable, trustworthy, praiseworthy, true. So this is not flattery or like positivity, like you're just awesome. All the time you're awesome. No, it is taking note of what your spouse does well and calling it out. So probably I would say at least eight, maybe 10 of you ladies in this room have probably shared something with me at some time. And I've said, have you told your husband that? Because it is a a comment of how I felt loved by him or I felt built up by him. I'm like, tell him, tell him. Go home and tell him. That's your homework. Go home and tell him. Um, Because you're building that culture of appreciation. Because the truth is, our spouse is not doing everything wrong, right? Even if there are things that need to be addressed, and even if you are in a desperate place, there are things that can be built upon. So reminding yourself of your partner's positive qualities and finding gratitude. Um, sometimes it can be helpful when, there is, when you have contempt in your heart toward your spouse to remember and reflect upon what drew you to them in the first place. Why did you marry them? Why were you attracted to them? What was it that made you want to spend the rest of your life with them? Sometimes that can be a helpful practice to get our heart back to a place of appreciation with our spouse. Okay, defensiveness. The third one. Defensiveness is typically a response to criticism. Okay, see how they like ping pong? So there's criticism from one spouse, and then the other spouse is like, no, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. And there's this defensive response. We see this in the garden, right? So God comes to Adam and is like, hey, you ate of the fruit. She made me do it. Like, defensive. It's that blame shifting that, you know, you're, when someone brings an issue to you rather than saying, I dropped the ball. I'm really sorry. It is pushing it back on, no, but you did this and this and this thing. Um, With that, I would say, so like the antidote is taking responsibility. So I would put something in here. This feels very important to me. Um, I'm sorry if is not an apology because you're not taking ownership 